Hello and welcome to episode 15 of LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. In each episode, we'll be talking to our next Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. We're delighted to announce that today's episode is sponsored by autograph specialist Legendary Signings. Legendary Signings were founded by Leeds United season ticket holders and they are the suppliers of hand-signed football memorabilia. After collecting signatures at Ellen Road as youngsters, the brand has taken the step up to now host professional signing sessions for players past and present. Their items include signed memorabilia from former Leeds United legends such as Jack Charlton, Norman Hunter and Alan Clark. And their most recent signing session was with Leeds' League One hero, Jermaine Beckford. Hosting signing sessions ensures legendary signings acquire the highest quality signatures possible from their clients. And they also offer framing options for their items. You can find all of their signed items at www.legendarysignings.co.uk or on their eBay, Etsy or Amazon store, where photo proof and certificate of authenticity is also available. But back to the show, and all our episodes can be found on our LUFC Fans on YouTube channel, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcast. On last episode, we were with former Leeds United head coach David Hockaday, who spoke to us about how he became Massimo Cellino's first head coach at Leeds United in 2014 as well as how he attempted to bring current Liverpool defender Virgil van Dijk to Ellen Road from Celtic in his first transfer window at the club, and how him and the players had to bring their own packed lunch for training after Salino closed the canteen at Thorpe Arch. However, this week, as it's our 15th episode, we've decided to create a compilation of the best bits on the LUFC Fan Zone podcast so far. Our first guest was former Leeds United captain Sol Bamba, and we have spoken to Champions League members such as Olivier Decor and League One heroes such as Patrick Isnobo and Casper Ankergren throughout the last 30 weeks. This episode, we've included one highlight from every show so far, giving you a perfect chance to re-hear your favourite clips or recap on episodes which you might have missed along the way. We hope you enjoy the show, and we both thank you for all the support you've all given us since our launch in May. Our first guest back in May was Saul Bamba, and here's what he had to say about Gary Monk letting him leave the club as captain and his opinion on the infamous Sick Note 6. So you've uh, previously stated that two players, out of Carney, Marco Silvestri, Dario Del Fabro, Beluski, Dakara and Antonucci were genuinely injured, whereas the other four were not. Which players do you think were injured as opposed to protesting? Well, if I'm honest with you, Jack, I don't think any of them were injured. Really? Absolutely. Let's, 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 let's be honest here. We, they all know. I mean, listen, it was five years ago. I wasn't happy. I wanted to talk. They said to me not to. Yeah. Uh, looking, we look forward to the next season. This and that. Is it going to be gone? Whatever. But I wanted to make the point. Like we, you don't do that. It's so disrespectful. And as a club, if you want to go forward, when something is wrong, when something you're not happy with, with you address it and you say it. But they didn't listen. But now, five years, five years later, if you ask me and you don't want to, you want to know the truth, none of them were injured, and we all know it. You featured four of the first four of the first five matches that season, and yeah. you were still the club captain. But just one day after the transfer window, you it was announced that your contract was terminated, which obviously came as a shock to supporters. But was there a reason why that happened? No, at all. I was I was I was shocked as as, as you guys before, uh, and that's the only thing I always said. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, over all those years, people asking me and said like, oh, why you know upset against him or you don't say anything, any bad things about him. I said, no, I, I don't have any bad things to say about him because, like I said, he was good and I do think he's a good manager. But the only thing that can sit with him and uh, he shouldn't have told me is 
it should be honest with me and tell me straight away whenever that that was when he decided to let me go he should have told me early on but he didn't he told me he wanted me to go the last day of the social window at 12 o'clock and the window was shut at 11 o'clock at night so you know i had no chance and i said to him what's that all about he said yeah um, uh, you got too you got too much of the big influence in the club and in the dressing room so if you don't play uh, people's going to start asking questions. And I don't know if you remember, but before the, before that, we played Fulham, I think, at home, and he put me on the bench. Um, and that game already, uh, people was asking questions. The lads were saying, like, why are you not playing tall and everything? And I think that's what make up his mind, and he decided to get rid of me, because he mm -hmm. said, like, uh, it's either you play or, or you're gone. Uh, because you've got big influence in the dressing room. And I was like, that's rubbish, that. Because, you know, I'm a player like everybody else. I know I'm a captain, but if you, you're the manager, if you don't want me to play, I don't play and I will, I will be on the bench or whatever and I have to fight for my place. I'm no different than anybody else. So you can't just get rid of me. And, um, and he, he, he couldn't give me an answer. And he said, well, go and see the president. I told him uh, and he will sort your contract out. So I go to see Celino and I said, well, what is that all about? And he, he went absolutely crazy because he said, I told him, I don't want that. I said exactly what you just said. Uh, he can put you in the bench. You won't complain. You will fight because that's what you are. Um, but he don't want it. He's scared because obviously the fans going to be in his bag, this and that. So he wants you to go. And I said, well, what do you want? He said, well, he's my manager. So I've got to follow what you want. Um, and I said, when did you, since when do you knew that? And he said, well, a couple of days ago. And I'm like, and that's when you tell me now. You should have told me a couple of days ago. At least I had a couple of days to find the club. And he was like, yeah, but I tried to convince him to change his mind. But obviously I didn't. And um, now we need to find a way. So obviously I said to him, well, I still go, yeah. So uh, I'm not going to leave without, any, without my money. Because if you want to play like this, I'm going to have to defend myself. So he was good to be fair because he did said for what you did for the club, whatever. Uh, it's not going to be any argument. I will give you your money. And uh, that's, uh, that's what happened. But I was, I was very, very disappointed regarding Mung, the way, the way, the way he managed that, because I think he could have, could have told me before, he could have went about it a different way. Um, but I mean, I spoke to him after that. He apologized, to be honest, uh, yeah. a couple of days after, a couple, couple of years after. Uh, but listen, I'm not someone who old wages, so he was, he was, he was, I moved on. On the following episode, we were joined by our first manager, Neil Redfern, and here's what he had to say about winning his first game as Leeds United head coach, and Neil Warnock being appointed as his replacement. So your first match in charge was against Bristol City. Can you remember how you prepared for the match at the time? Yeah, it was Ashton Gate, actually. And I remember when we set off to, to, to the ground, it started snowing. Um, but, you know, it was just like a dusting, you know. So unlike modern day pitches, it's very rarely they get snowed off. I mean, if games are called off now, it's because obviously the, the surrounding roads are dangerous. Um, pitches they've got under soil heat and what have you, it's very rarely they're called off. But... This snow was starting to get stronger and stronger. I'm thinking it's just my luck. Get to manage Leeds, you know, for the first time the game's called off because of snow. But, you know, luckily it, it, it was only, a, you know, 
a, a minor hiccup and um, we had a fantastic result. We went, we won three nil. Um, the lads played ever so well. Um, Bristol played the part on on that day. Very nerve wracking because you know three nil sort of it, it didn't flatter us because we, we were the better side, but um, they were definitely in it, Bristol City. Um, but it was just a good feeling because obviously you know the lads were upbeat because they got a good result. Um, you know, people were, were disappointed, obviously, because Simon had left. But you know, it was nice. It was nice for them to to, to get a result and um, you know, just keep the confidence up. Absolutely. So, uh, as you just said, three uh, nil away at Bristol. Yeah. Uh, first match in charge. You went on and won two of your four matches as temporary manager. Uh, however, Ken yeah. Bates, who was the owner at the time, appointed Neil Warnock as a permanent manager shortly after. Was it always a plan, yeah. or did you want to spend more time as a uh, head coach? No, I mean, because it happened so quick, um, you know, and, and I had no inkling whatsoever that Simon were going. Um, and obviously, I, you know, I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, the eight teams were successful. We were getting some, you know, some of the younger players were getting good recognition, and um, I was more concerned with that really. And, um, you know, when the call came, obviously you 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 look after it for him. You know, there's no two ways about that. But you know, in in my mind, um, I was always going to go back to you know working with with the with the youth team. And um, so yeah, Neil came in, obviously a vastly experienced manager. Um, you know, and he's he'd got, um, I think he'd got a lot of players. He brought a lot of players in that you know he knew from his time at Sheffield United when they were successful. Um, so obviously you know that era started then. In episode three, we spoke to Adi Sacco, and here's what he had to say about Square It Haddy and joining up with a pre-season tour of Ireland back in 2016. Usually, and especially at Leeds, if a player is close to joining the club, it's rumoured on Twitter and other social medias before it's made official. However, your transfer was slightly different. Uh, there was no speculation about you joining until I think uh, Gary Monk, who was head coach at the time, posted a photo on Twitter of the squad in their pre-season trip to Ireland and you were in it, even in a Leeds tracksuit. Yeah. Even though you weren't officially a part of the squad, can you remember it? I remember. I remember uh, before the, um, the official is, uh, this uh, transfer was uh, with the group already. It was in, uh, in camp uh, and then uh, it was a, a little bit different because uh, I didn't sign officially like uh, in the club or in Leeds City. I, I signed uh, already uh, and I go to the, to the camp with the player. And um, we make this official uh, <laughs> a little bit strange, like how you say it, with a <laughs> track, uh, uh, not, uh, kit training. Yeah, training it was kit, a yeah. training kit. Yeah, training kit. And uh, it was quickly. And for me, it was like, okay. Let's do it like this and uh, quickly, and uh, we will see in the future if uh, I can put my mark in the club. <laughs> what was that pre-season tour of Ireland like, and how did you settle in with the squad? Yeah, it was a bit different uh, for me because uh, I didn't speak English when I came, uh, but they have some few players that were speaking uh, French. I mean, uh, to Sule and uh, Tumani and Jordan and Sol. So for the integration, it was a little bit better for me. And uh, slowly, slowly, uh, I make, um, I make like, I don't know how to say in English, connaissance. 
it's like that connections yeah <laughs> connect yeah. Connect, connection i think with the, the player to speak but it was difficult uh, the first few months because when you have this uh, this world the language you cannot speak uh, too much so slowly and slowly i make a connection with the players there was a growing trend on social media after that match at reading at ellen road where fans started this phrase Square it, Haddy. <laughs> How did you take that? Ah, I remember uh, I saw this uh, in the social media after the game, and uh, first of all, it was like I did. I remember I didn't understand good, and uh, I say to the to the one who posted, uh, "What does that mean?" <laughs> and he explained to me like uh, that means when you are in this position, you have to pass the ball. <laughs> and it was funny because after like everyone and starting to saying this and it's like uh, how we say this uh, a double name I don't know I don't know how to say this in English but uh, it was like a, a general like when I saw like a Leeds fan outside or everywhere everywhere starting to say square it square it square it so <laughs> it was fun and uh, also uh, a little bit of learning so it was uh, it was it was fun it was fun yeah, like I remember you posted a tweet of the PlayStation remote with no pass button, which was obviously a joke. But did you think that it might have been an area of your game which you had to improve on? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, I like to uh, to be in this mood uh, to uh, to have contact with the fans. So I remember at this time uh, I was a lot in social media. So. I post this, uh, how do you say this, PlayStation um, remote, how do you say this, yes, and I post this and uh, it was like, yeah, the the cat and the rat, you know, like, uh, we just uh, trying to lose and uh, trying to decompress uh, in the social media, so it was, uh, <laughs> it was funny. In episode four, we picked a guest who we felt not, may not win a poll, but had something interesting to say about Leeds. Jerry Mbakagu was close to a move to Leeds, however the deal fell through after Bielsa's disapproval. Here's what he had to say about being linked to Leeds and the opportunity to play in England. And that, that season was in the 2015-16 season, but it was during the 2017-18 season when Carpu were back in Serie B, when yeah. you started to get linked to Leeds, wasn't it? Uh, when was the first time that you were aware of Leeds' interest? Uh, I think it was December of 2017. Yeah, yeah, December 2017. I mean, everyone, everyone knows, like my friends, my family, my agent. Like, I was always, I want to go to to the UK. I want to play in England. I want to play in England. So it was like okay. Um, so he started working and. When there was a time I got a call, he was like, I think, uh, find a solution. Leeds wants you, like, the director loves you, he knows you, he's been following you since you were a kid, and he would like to bring you to to Leeds. So that was the first time. That was the first time, yeah, beginning of December 2000 and 2017, I guess, yeah. When your agent first told you about Leeds wanting to sign you, how did you feel? Because, like you said, many overseas players see it as a dream to play English football. Yeah, yeah I, I was overwhelmed. I remember, like, 
it was amazing. It was like seeing this dream come true. So when he told me, I was, wow, let's go immediately. I wanted to go immediately. So we started. I also met the sports director, Victor, Victor, Victor Ota. So he came to Carpi with my agent. We met, we spoke. He told me everything about the team, and it was really amazing. So in my mind and in my head, I thought I was going to move to Leeds. But my the president didn't want me to leave in January because he still wanted like uh, Carpi was fighting to 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 go to playoffs to try and go back to Serie A. So he wasn't willing to let me go in January. So it was like if you're going to leave, if you're going to leave, then it has to be in June. So we all decided to wait till June then, so then I can move to Leeds. And then. During, I think it was February, March, I started having a problem with my knee and then I couldn't train anymore. And I had pressure because my agent was like, okay, if you're going to go to Leeds, you still have to play because if you stop playing, then, you know, things might change. And at the beginning, I tried to like force it, try to play, try to show I was feeling good, but everything was getting worse. Then I got to a point I couldn't train anymore. So I was like, I have to stop and treat myself like I was like my like my body comes first, my health comes first. And if at the end of the season, Leeds changes their mind because of me not playing or not finishing the season, that means it was not meant to be. So yeah. that was when things, well, I think what really happened was, uh, I think in summer, they signed Bielsa and he changed. He took control of everything. This this was what my agent told me. So he was in charge of the players and and everything. So he made different decisions. He wanted different type of striker, different style of striker. So and they were like he could still come here, but when he come here he has to start with the under twenty one, train with the under twenty one and then so I was like at a point of my career I couldn't go to somewhere and start playing with under twenty one. So I told my agent there it's no there's no need of me like going there and you know so this was why like i think things didn't really happen at the end of the day but it is what it is i would have really loved coming there and i've always supported leeds i watched them play i watched the playoffs last season i've been following them whenever i can because there's a part of me that feels like you know i I don't know how to say it because I was so into Leeds when I knew it was going to happen. It came in my mind. It was already my team. So I've been following them ever since and I'm happy they're really playing great this season. In episode five, we managed to sit down and speak to Champions League hero, Olivier Decor. Here's what he had to say about Terry Venables and his thoughts on Lee Bowyer and as well being the Leeds United record signing at the time. What did you first know about Leeds before you signed for the club? And what can you remember about Leeds when you played for Everton? When I played, no, no, because we have, uh, no, we have, uh, how you say, the character team, no? Because I think I took red card uh, on uh, Lee Boyer. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I took red card on Lee. On Lee, on Lee. Uh, for me, it's, it's um, maybe it was David Beckham, but Lee Boyer, honestly, I, 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 you will never know, but I think against Valencia in the second leg, if he was on the pitch, you know, it was it, because uh, you, with him, you, you never knew he could score. You know, when you, it's like a, 
little rat. He, he was everywhere. When you not <laughs> expect him, he was there. And you know, and I, I really think he will have a bigger, bigger career in national team because he was a he was a very very good player and good guy. In today's transfer market, especially at Leeds, many of the transfer fees and figures are undisclosed and aren't released to the public. However, Leeds and the chairman at the time, Peter Ridgedale, made your £7.2 million figure very public. And when you arrived at Ellen Road, the unveiling consisted of like a large cheque that you were holding with the amount of money Leeds had spent and a shirt printed with decor with £7.2 million on the back. How did that make you feel? And did it put you under any pressure to perform as the whole of the Leeds yeah. fan base was aware of your cost and your record transfer? Yeah, but it's always like that. You can see all the players when they arrive with a big, uh, you know, in in when you arrive with a big check in your back, sometimes it's difficult because it's uh, the pressure. You've got some big pressure. But honestly, I I always say that you know what is very important. It's what you're doing on the on the pitch. You know, like that. It's most important. After you can. They can pay you, they can do that. The truth is the pitch. You cannot lie in the pitch. And uh, before to go to Leeds, I could go to to some big clubs in England. And when I choose Leeds, it was for a reason. And I never doubt about my quality. That's the reason I was excited. I was very happy. And uh, I knew we will do some things because I can, I, I, I could feel it because before to comes to to sign to Leeds, I I spoke with uh, Michael Bridges, and uh, yeah yeah before to come on I spoke with Michael Bridges, and uh, I didn't know him but he was so kind that I didn't I didn't have any doubts on, and I cannot explain when you when you know some things will be great something great expect you, I don't know how to explain that. Terry Venables was O'Leary's replacement, who had previously brought success to both Tottenham and Barcelona. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he guided England to Euro 96. Sorry. At, at the time, did you feel that he was a good appointment for the club? Yeah, I don't know, because it came, you know, like, and all the managers, when they're coming to the clubs, they want to bring their players and uh, they always wanted to have you know you want to change things when you're coming to some clubs you've got some manager when they're coming they want to buy our players and uh, and what is was the truth it's before to to sack um, David O'Leary I could sign for Juve and I didn't go because because uh, it was like that I, and I didn't go and, and I knew Terry Venables didn't want me. And when you know somebody he doesn't he, he doesn't want you, what you doing? You not stay. Because he wanted to buy with the money when they will send me, with the money they will take, he will buy these players. But I'm I'm not uh, I was not uh, honestly I don't I, I for me was not important. The best important the best things to me it was to play on the pitch, and I when he put me against Man- we won uh, against Manchester. I was on the field, and I was man of the match. I don't care about 
what you can feel about me. Me, I just wanted at this time, I just wanted to be uh, treated like everybody, you know, not like uh, I want to, to have the same chance, even if you don't like me, but you have to judge me on the pitch. If I'm good, you make me play. If I'm not good, okay, you can change me. And when he arrived, when he arrived, Terry Benebels, he put me straight away on the bench. And that was not correct. Episode 6, we were joined by League One Hero in Paddy Kiznobo. And here's what he had to say about his famous head injury, beating Manchester United away at Old Trafford in the FA Cup and watching our League One promotion from the terraces in 2010. During that match, you sustained the head injury which resulted in your trademark head bandage. And it was yep. a part of, that you had 12 stitches put in yep. during that match. And despite mm-hmm. it occurring during the game, you returned to the pitch just minutes later. Yep. What can you remember about the incident itself, receiving the treatment and then returning to the pitch in such a short space of time? Yeah, look, all I remember was the ball was there 2-1 and I couldn't remember, I don't know the striker's name, but obviously we, we've collided heads and we've gone down. Um, and I've gone to get up and just put my hand on my head and obviously there was a gash of blood. Um, but I thought, ah, oh, blood, it's normal that, you know, I'm used to blood. But then obviously the crowd see them replaying, you hear, oh, and I thought, oh, I must be in some trouble here. Um, but literally the, you know, the, the physios clean me up, you know, put us some, um, some Vaseline on and just strap my head together to get, you know, to finish the game. That was literally it. Leeds were flying in the league, and in the third round of the FA Cup, we were drawn against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And after overcoming Kettering Town in a replay, the match was confirmed, and Leeds would be visiting Old Trafford for the first time since their relegation from the Premier League in 2004. What can you remember about the build-up to that match, and was it any different to the build-up to a normal league match? Look, I think, to be fair, I was like one of those naive sort of Australians. I didn't know the actual, what it meant to, you know, um, the, the Leeds people um, and how much the, the, the they really disliked Man United. I, I didn't understand that. I thought it was just Man United, Liverpool. Um, but as I sort of got the education on Man United and Leeds, um, I quickly found out what it meant to the, the Leeds people and Leeds fans and how big this game was. Um, to be fair, I, I remember the, the lead up to the game and for me, it was business as usual. Um, but you sort of, that, that realisation sort of changes, you know, when you warm up in front of, you know, whatever, 70,000 and, you know, they're yelling all kinds of abuse and you've heard it before every away game you travel. Um, but it, it was different. Um, so, and I could tell by the, the, you know, the plays that were, you know, that were Northerners and born in Yorkshire, how much this game meant. So I, I knew deep down how much it meant, but the lead up for me um, and the way I approached it was like uh, any other game. Obviously, as we all know, Leeds came out 1-0 winners thanks to a yep. winner from Maine Beckford, which mm-hmm. not only saw Leeds win at Old Trafford for the first time in 29 years, but the result was the first time Manchester United had lost to a side outside the Premier League in the FA Cup under Sir Alex Ferguson. Did yep. you have time to celebrate or did you have to focus straight back on the league form? Look, I think it's I think it's normal, you know, you got to sort of enjoy that moment. Um, to be fair, uh, all I think of was after was, you know, get you warmed down because, you know, I, I think we, we had we had another game away. Um, so that, that was that was sort of my mentality. 
Um, but look, yeah, look, it, it, it was a great occasion. And you know, to this day, you know, sometimes when I'm bored, I, I put the game on just to watch because sometimes you don't realise um, what you accomplished on, on that day. And, and it was fantastic. You know, I wish I could go back and feel that feel the same way because it was a time that I'd never forget. And despite your absence, which was obviously a huge miss for the side, Leeds played Bristol Rovers on the final day of the season, knowing that a win yep. would guarantee promotion to the Championship after a three-year yep. absence. What mm-hmm. can you remember about that match, and how did it make you feel having to watch the match from the stands? Look, I think that was probably the worst feeling I've ever had, to be honest. Um, you can't affect the game. I was in the stands with with my wife and Richard Naylor. I'll never forget it. And we're watching the game, and I was like, geez, I, I can't watch. You know, it was killing me not being out there because... You can't help. You're helpless. Um, and then, obviously, when Max got sent off, I thought, oh, God, here we go. Like, it's it's not great. Um, but then, you know, uh, one of Leeds' favourite sons, you know, Johnny Housen scores from that free kick. And I think, you know, and I thought, you know what? This is it. We're going to win it. We're going to win it like this in this style. It's just meant to be. And then, obviously, as you know, Jermaine scores, you know, the, the, the last goal to make it 2-1. Um, it was just a sign of relief, like you know, for what you set out from the start. Even though I was injured, um, I knew that you know I'd played a, a a role that helped the team, you know, sort of achieve what they wanted from day one. In episode seven, we were joined by an academy graduate, Matthew Kilgallen. Here's what he had to say about his first session with the first team and his full Leeds United debut away in the UEFA Cup. I mean, I can remember my first training session when I think I was outside sweeping and I can remember Eddie Gray or Eddie Gray coming up to me and he just tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're with the first team today. And this was my first training session. So I thought to myself, whoa, you know, okay then. So, you know, you start getting a bit nervous and that I finished my jobs off and uh, probably had no breakfast, you know, just running late, I'd rather lie in bed at that, you know, it's just all not preparation for me training that day and uh, I went out there and the first session we did one-on-ones we did a one-on-one drill where all the strikers Viduka, Alan Smith uh, Harry Kewell were all on the halfway line and we had to get a ball on the six-yard box and clip it into them and then they'd come a one-on-one with you so you'd come out and they had to try and get past, past you so I'm stood next to the post and everyone's having a go. And uh, Eddie, like Gray says to me behind me, says, are you ready? Are you ready, son? So I said, yeah, 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 yeah. So I got the ball <laughs> and I looked up and I'd only pulled Harry Kuhl out, hadn't I, for the first one-on-one. I mean, this guy's been abusing Premier League defenders all season and that, and I'm just thinking, why didn't I just, you know, have a look who was a So I clipped the ball out. It was a nice clip, to be fair. I was worried about that at the start, and I clipped it straight onto him. But as I've run, I have sprinted, and I was sprinted. And as the ball sort of come to him, I'm running full steam ahead. Didn't put no brakes on. On first touch, he just popped it before, popped it over my head, ran around me and put it in the bottom corner. So Baptism I walked back to the... Yeah, I walked back to the thing and <laughs> Eddie Gray said to me, you can't defend like that here, son. <laughs> Don't get away with that here, son. Just a couple of seasons before that relegation, 
you you hadn't featured in any of the Premier League squads in the first few matches of your professional contract. And your first time you travelled with Leeds was a trip to Ukraine in the UEFA Cup to Metala. And you put although you failed to make the match day squad, what was that experience like being within within the squad for the first time? Yeah, that was great. That was another different level again. Um, you know, we say training, but then sort of travelling with the lads, you know, going on the private runway on the jet and I had to wear a suit. Even though I turned up, I mean, my dad dropped me off at like half five in the morning at Leeds Bradford. And I walked into the airport and everyone's got a suit on and I've got my track suit on. <laughs> and I had my suit in a carrier. So, you know, I think a couple of lads see me <laughs> ran into the toilet and changed. So I was nervous, you know, but it was great experience to see how they sort of lived and how they acted off the pitch as well and how they prepared for games. And uh, I went there and, you know, just just sort of getting your face around the first team and there's nothing better when you know the first team think you're a good lad as well. So, you know, when I wasn't in the squad, it was sort of right. What drink do you want? Do you want a drink? Let me get that for you. Do you know what I mean? And it's sort of like building these. And then, you know, you can see that they're thinking, well, you know, Killer's a good lad. What's great to have. There's nothing worse than the first teamers think, not really like him. Do you know what I mean? Then you're battling uphill again. And it's hard enough as it is. So it was basically like, right, you know, Smudger, do you want, where's your shin pads? Let me get them for you. Do you want another drink? So that's how I went there. And that, that was what happened when... I actually made my debut. I just thought I was traveling again. I just thought, right, yeah, come along. I'll sweep the change rooms at the end. <laughs> I'll, um, I was 18 years old, right? Became a smudger, had a Lucas aid. You know, I was just thinking, I'll go again. So we trained out there as well the day before. And um, yeah, I thought it was for the experience of traveling and being with the first team. And uh, Venables, uh, Terry Venables, read the team sheet out and I was on it. I was on the bench and I was like, hang on a minute, who's doing the drinks? Who's going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? And I just thought to myself, right, you know, I don't think I even got my boots out of the out of the boot bag. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Do you know what I mean? Right, where's my shirt? So like sort of put your shirt up and then it's sort of like the first time I'd seen my name on the shirt and everything. And then I was like, oh, here we go. And um, warmed up with the lads. I mean, I couldn't, it's not like now I'm texting home and going, listen, dad, I'm on the bench. Listen, mum, I'm on the bench. You know what I mean? Nothing like that. So, um, yeah, I got on the bench warming up and very, like strange atmosphere because it was played in a neutral ground. In uh, Florence. In Florence. Florence, yeah. yeah. It, it was, it, we were there. So it's quite weird. Obviously, there's still Leeds fans were still there because they travel everywhere. And they were still there. And um, I remember sitting on the bench and about probably 20 minutes in, I can remember just looking down the line there. I was thinking, I'm the only centre-half on the bench here. I think, if, if one of these goes down, I'm on. So then I'm like, right. Oof. So I start watching the game a bit more, thinking. And I think about 50 minutes. And Radaby was, I mean still unbelievable. He was coming to that end of his career where he was picking up a lot of niggles. I mean, he was probably playing with, with one knee for 18 months and still probably the best player on the pitch. And uh, 
I think he just went up for a header and landed on it funny and went down. And I just sort of looked at Venables and Eddie Gray and they were like, like, get your top off. I was like, all right then. And I was on. It was like, go on then. You're picking him up on the set piece and go. And I touched the ball after about 10 seconds and I passed it out to Ian Hart. And I was like, right, it's just a normal game again. Don't don't treat it like anything else. You can do this sort of thing. And I think we scored after about two minutes of it being on. And then it was just sort of like, right, enjoy this. And then we went on to win 4-1 or something. On episode eight, we spoke to the only goalkeeper so far on the podcast in Casper Ankergren. And he spoke to us about keeping a clean sheet at Old Trafford against Manchester United in 2010 in our famous FA Cup win. Leeds were flying in the league at the time. And... In the third round of the FA Cup, we were drawn against Manchester United at Old Trafford after overcoming Kettering Town in a replay. And Leeds would be visiting Old Trafford for the first time since their relegation from the Premier League in 2004. What can you remember about the build-up to that match? And once again, was it any different to a build-up to a normal league match? It wasn't that different. Um, I remember I was struggling with my shoulder at the time. I didn't really train the day before the game. I had to go and get an injection in my shoulder. Uh, so couldn't really train the day before. Uh, remember traveling the coach up to the up to Manchester, and uh, I had a phone call from a from a Danish uh, journalist who said if I was looking forward to the game. And to be honest with you, my I had a in my head I knew we were playing we were a League One team, but. On paper, well, we were a League One team, but on paper, we probably had a better squad than a than a League One club. Uh, but we were playing Manchester United at Old Trafford, and I thought it's it's going to be one of them games where it could be an incredible experience. But on the other hand, if you go and get done by five, then it's not an enjoyable situation, and it's not an, a good experience. So. I, my feelings were very like they were torn. I was thinking, oh, if we if we get pumped here, I won't enjoy it. So so I couldn't really answer the journalist. I just remember saying to him, well, we have to wait and see. I'll I'll, I'll answer you after the game, whether it's it's good uh, good experience uh, or, or not. And obviously, it turned out to be a, a, a great experience. Prior to the official team announcement. Myself and many other Leeds fans might have thought that Manchester United might have played a slightly weaker team because of their Premier League priorities and being obviously two leagues above Leeds. However, their attack consisted of both Wayne Rooney and Dimitar Berbatov, who at the time were arguably two of the best strikers in the country. How did you find playing against them two? As they were, like I said, they were some of the best players in England and you had to be at your very best to keep a clean sheet because you made some fantastic saves. Yeah, I remember um, I actually didn't sleep well uh, the day before. I kept waking up and, and thinking about the game. Um, normally, uh, on the, in the dressing room, I would go through what, what, the, what team they're putting out. Uh, you know, sometimes if there's a player in the team, I, I like to know everything about uh, the opposition. So if the strikers are the right-footed, left-footed, how big are they? Um, and then you get to know players over the years. But uh, with Manchester United, I remember looking at the lineup and I thought, no, I don't need to check anything. Because I knew all the players already. I knew what they were good at. I knew what they could do. 
Um, so, but as soon as you go out on the pitch, you go and warm up, you know, at the end of the day, it's a game, you need to approach it like it's a game like any other game. You can't start thinking about the size of the game and who you're playing against too much. You know, you just need to be prepared, be focused on what you need to do. And um, so, yeah, I didn't have to check too much on, on, on what they were good at because I, I knew. And, and obviously they put out a, a really strong side at the time. Um, and, and what a great, uh, what a great experience. And for the, for the fans as well, I thought it was, it was just, I, I, I'm not sure I knew at the time how big and how important this was for, for the fans until afterwards. Yeah. And obviously, as we all know, Leeds came out as 1-0 winners thanks to a winner from Jermaine Beckford, which not only saw Leeds win at Old Trafford for the first time in 29 years, but the result was the first time Manchester United had lost to a side outside the Premier League in the FA Cup with Sir Alex Ferguson as manager. And the first time Leeds had kept a clean sheet at Old Trafford since 1995. Did you have time <laughs> to celebrate or did you have to focus straight back on the league? No, it's, 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 that is obviously one of, the, one of the times where you need to enjoy it. And, you know, you, you, you're gonna, you have to enjoy it because in football... You go through some tough spells, and but a, a situation and a game like this, you have to enjoy it, uh, and you need to try and suck it all in as much as possible because it's it's something that will stick with me forever. Um, and I know we didn't win anything at the time, if you know what I mean. It's not like we won the league or we won something special, but to beat Manchester United at Old Trafford is something that's uh, will stick with me forever, and then it's 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 a really really special occasion and um yeah we just i uh, remember i had some friends over from denmark that went to the game and we went back went back to leeds we went out we had a few beers and uh, then after the day after that's obviously when you need to start refocusing and, and focus on what what's ahead and at the end of the day the league was the most important the man united game was just a bonus Next episode, we spoke to former Jamaican international Rudolf Austin, and he spoke to us about long-range strikes, including the one which got cancelled in the last second against Tottenham Hotspur in the Carling Cup at Ellen Road, as well as having his captaincy taken away from him after losing 6-0 away to Sheffield Wednesday. Although Leeds' form wasn't the best, you scored your first championship goal in the away trip to Cardiff, which was a very long-range deflected flea kick in the 2-1 loss. What can you remember about that goal? Yeah, I remember um, Michael Tong was over the ball also, but he thought he was going to cross it and I just ran up and shoot and it went in. So <laughs> after the game, he said to me that he was surprised that I shoot because he thought he was going to cross it. So it was funny. And like you said, the, the goal must have been from about 25 yards out and after that goal, you gained a reputation with the Leeds fans from shooting from long distances, which sometimes almost seemed from an unthinkable distance from any other member of the squad. However, often them shots would result in a good effort and a good save from the goalkeeper. Did you find that long shots was a strong point of in your game or was it something that you encouraged to do by Warnock and sometimes even the Leeds fans who would shout shoot when you got on the ball, however far away you were? 
I've always, I, I, when I, from, I was young, I could always shoot the ball hard and from long distances. So sometimes I shoot and it don't go well, you know, and stuff like that. But I always like to shoot because I know I can. So, you know, sometimes if you have uh, some strength in something, then you have to do it. So in that, in that situation, all the time, I just try to shoot whenever I can. You know, if it goes good, it's good. But if you don't try, then you don't score. <laughs> and a perfect example of that was when Leeds played Tottenham in the fourth round of the League Cup at Ellen Road when you had the ball on the halfway line with just seconds of the match to go and right on the referee's whistle, you had a shot which went in. C- can you remember that? Yes, I remember. And I remember that um, some guys... I lost some money because of if we won three one day would have get a lot of money because on some betting stuff. So I remember it. <laughs> Do you think that would have been the best goal of your career? <laughs> hey, exactly. I wouldn't say, but you know, it was a playing against a big team, you know, in a FA Cup because at that time we were playing Tottenham and um, Garrett Bale was at his best, you know. Um, you have Scott Parker, Dempsey. It was a very strong Tottenham team, you know, and we we beat them. So it was a very good game too. Maybe should have scored in, but the referee said we already won, so he just blew it. <laughs> Within the space of a week, Leeds had lost 2-0 to League side Rochdale in the FA Cup and then 6-0 to Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough in the Championship, which... Not only saw Leeds drop out of the playoff places, but it was reported that you asked Brian McDermott to stand down from captaincy. What was the reasoning behind that? Because prior to that spell, Leeds were doing really well in the championship. Um, the reason for that it was um, I was bringing home the football, to be honest, and I never did that before. You know, and to lose six nil against a rivalry, it was one of the worst days of my life. You know, so um, I was bringing home the football and and um, I went home after that game and my little son was, you know, acting up in a little manner and I gave him a little slap on his on his leg and I and I said I can't be this person to be honest, you know. And then I went in and we had this discussion and. You know, with the players and the manager, and we we find a solution, and yeah, that's it. Do you think if Leeds wouldn't have lost six nil to Sheffield, that you might have continued to keep the armband? Um, I, 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 I to be honest, I am not um in a situation where whether I'm the captain or not, you know, it it doesn't affect me in in any. I think it's overrated, not in a bad way. You know, I think you know you can pay a lot of emphasis to being captain or being that. You know, I think once you have a good team, that's what really matters. It doesn't matter who wear the, the armband or if you are captain. It doesn't change much, in my opinion. On the tenth episode of the LFC Fan Zone podcast, we spoke to former striker Chris Wood, and he talked about not being confident of promotion despite the arrival of Gary Monk and Pablo Hernandez to Leeds in 2016, 
as well as shushing the fans after his overhead kick at Ellen Road in the midweek fixture against Fulham, which ended in a 1-1 draw. Um, before the season began, how optimistic were you that Leeds were finally going to push on for that playoff and potentially contend there? Um, I wasn't optimistic at all. I thought this was going to be another another tough season. We'd been through a lot of turmoil and I'd, I'd finally seen what everybody spoke about for the years before, how 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 bad the club was run, just how it needed to change and need to evolve. And um, the, bringing the managers in, they, they try to adjust things. They try to, like the food at the canteen, meeting the right stuff into uh, rehabilitation, um, both off the pitch and the gym, into recovery, uh, especially with a lot of games that's in the championship. That's where the side, side of the football that needed to change. And uh, as we went along, we changed that. And Gary Monk changed that a lot. And... Uh, it helped drastically on the pitch because we had our best season to date at that point in time. So, uh, yeah, it was tough in that sense, but I, I wasn't optimistic for a, for a top six finish. But ultimately, when we got into it and got dug into half the season, uh, it looked pretty damn lightly. And despite the changes off the pitch with the new managers and the influx of new players, the season didn't get off to the greatest of starts. And Leeds' first match was a 3-0 away defeat to Queen's Park Rangers with Leeds failing to register a shot on target, followed by a 2-1 home defeat against Birmingham City. However, the side picked up their first point of the season in the third match in the Championship, which was a 1-1 draw at Ellen Road, against one of the promotion favourites, Fulham, where a late <laughs> overhead kick goal from yourself opened the, the scoring and your goal tally for the season and rescued a late point for Leeds. What can you remember about that goal and how important do you think it was to get that draw? Because... Leeds were on track for three losses in a row, which might have changed the atmosphere around Ellen Road after the uh, new influx of people. Yeah, I'm sure it definitely would have changed the atmosphere around. Um, I remember QPR on the opening day. Uh, we tried to play the way Gary Monk played too too much, and uh, as in the case of we tried to do what he wanted word for word and not not be footballers at the end of the day and, and take a bit of off the cuff stuff. We tried to be rigid and structured, which never works. And coming in after that game, he said the exact same thing. He said, look, you're being too rigid. These are all guidelines and these are all how I want you to play, but you still need to uh, play the way you want to play and play how, like to your strengths at the same time. So the first few games were learning curves and uh, ultimately it did turn around in the end and his style came through. Um, that Fulham game, obviously, I think everybody in in the Leeds fan base or anything remembers the goal, remembers the celebration from me. Um, it was the tough time in my career at Leeds, end of, end of the first season, start of the second season. Um, it was where I was getting criticised a lot and, and vocally on game days. And um, it was one of those frustration on both sides. Um, I, I believe fans should be very supportive of their, of their players, um, especially at starts of the season. There's no point being negative. Um, if you want to be negative, that's that's your right and that's your opinion. Um, but it's never going to help a player. Yeah, like you said, you celebrated that goal in front of the cop by sort of cupping your ear towards the Leeds fans. Was that your way of like telling the supporters that you could hear their criticism and that you wanted to prove them wrong? Um, it was a pro. It was. It was. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was. It was one of those. Look, yeah, I know I'm getting booed and all of that, but it was a basically without being too broad about it, it was a, not an up you, but a, it's a, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna do this without you then if you're not gonna help me. Um, I I had the faith in my team and my manager, um, and ultimately that's when I learned the hardest lesson of that's all you need. Um, in, in football, it's great having the fans behind you, but ultimately they're not the ones that are gonna help you out when when times get tough. On episode 11, we spoke to former Italian midfielder Tommaso Bianchi, and he spoke about comparison between the Championship and the Italian Serie B and how both himself, the Italian arrivals, and Massimo Cellino underestimated the competition in the English second division. Redfern would return as head coach at Leeds. And like you mentioned, how hard was it as a player to continuously be changing managers and adapting to the new people's uh, techniques? Uh, it's, it's really hard for, for, for the players if you, if you change a lot, especially during, during the season. Also in England, uh, you, you don't have the time to to work uh, with uh, in a tactic or uh, physically because you play every three days and three three matches in, in a week, and you have a time uh, in the training to to work a lot. And uh, if you change change manager every two or three months, it's difficult for the players because change uh, the. The idea of uh, uh, how you, you need to play, change the tactics, uh, change uh, the players, because uh, we change a lot also in, uh, in the starting 11. Uh, we didn't play with the same teams uh, for a few for a few match. And, uh, and then I think it, it, it's sad, you know, you, you need the, the, the stability in the team uh, to, to build something and, and grow up. And uh, that's uh, what what Lisa did uh, last year, and uh, you can see the the result. And when Milanic was sacked, Leeds were 18th in the table, which was dangerously close to the relegation zone. But before the season started, were there any targets set by Hockaday and Cellino to where the team could finish that season? No, I, um, I don't know. Maybe because I, I didn't know the the level of uh, of championship. I think uh, was a uh, was a mistake. I think that the the championship uh, uh, you you can take the good player and uh, try to to stay in a high level of the championship. Championship is a is a tough, is a really tough. Uh, you can compare uh, with with the other with the other um, in uh, in Italy. Like uh, you can compare to Serie B. Is a uh, it's harder, it's harder, and uh, and I think uh, you need a uh, uh, very very good player to to win championship, uh, very good uh, international player, uh, very good manager. It, it, it's not easy, and uh, maybe uh, at the start of, of the season we we didn't understand, especially uh, the, the the Italian player, we we didn't understand how difficult it was. Uh, was playing championship. Uh, I think one of the best, uh, the the harder uh, uh, in in the match in the, in the world. You know, if you if you see uh, the the physicality of uh, of the match and uh, um, the high tempo uh, in in the match is uh, it's really really hard to adapt. And uh, we I think with um, we we didn't understand at the start of the season. 
and uh, after after a few matches, uh, we knew that you know it is really hard. And uh, also, I think the owner think uh, was maybe easier the, than than Serie A. But I think uh, uh, the 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 team in uh, a top level in uh, in Championship can play also in Serie A with a, with a good result. They they have a very good good player, international player, play for for the national team, and uh, it, it's really tough play playing Championship. In episode 12, we were with another League One hero in Trezor Kandal, and he spoke to us about his prison time just months before his arrival at Leeds in 2006 and how it helped him become the man that he is today. Yeah, and like when you did join Abani, you obviously returned to the Football League after you declined. What many Leeds fans might not know is that just a couple of months into your Barnet contract, you were sent to prison for 13 weeks for driving offences, which meant that you were unable to play for your new club in League Two. How was that time for you and how much of an impact did you feel that that sentence might have had on your professional career as you'd worked to get back up there? Yeah, I'll tell you what, as, uh, as, I'm, as I'm speaking to you, I don't know if you realise, I keep on saying I wasn't really serious, wasn't really, really serious. Yeah. I just took things as they were coming. I took football as the as I was playing, as it was coming. I never took football where, as a profession, where I'm going to get paid, I'm, I want the money, I want this, I want that. It wasn't really like that. I'll tell you the truth. It wasn't like that until I went in prison. Even when I got that move, that's why I was getting all these moves. Uh, I was getting on loan, getting all these moves, the leagues above. I was not, I was excited, but I was not really keen on I was not desperate like that. But it's only when I got to prison, that's when you're, that, you know, in the, sometimes in life, you only get to the worst place. That's for you to realize how lucky you were. You know what I mean? So he were, I think there was a time when I got punched in the face. I got to this, I got the, I think I got this Mike Tyson punch on my face. And I realized, you know what? It's either you wake up now or you're just going to carry on like that. You're going to waste your time. That was the time when I woke up. It was difficult. Yes, if you're talking about the difficulties, and yes, it was very difficult because I went there. Everything that was happening before, it was just me being a kid, me being a kid in the head. My body, I was, I think I was about 23 in that, but I was just plainly being a kid, being a kid in the head because the things I was doing off the field, like I'm telling you, it was just crazy. It was that me driving in a van. I was in a band, I was still drive. I was in a band, I was still drive. Can you believe I was going the same way to training every morning? And it's like, the police actually knew my, they knew my car. They knew where I park. They knew the car park I park. They knew where I train. They knew where I work. So they actually know this guy goes past here probably at 9.30 every morning or 9 o'clock every morning. And we know his car park where he's going to park. So we're, we're going to be sitting and we're going to be watching him when he's coming to park. And we're just going to stop him easily. They were done that for me. I remember there was one, two weeks I went through. They actually, in two weeks, they stopped me like probably eight, nine times or 10 times. It's like every day I was going training, they've sent policemen who come to me and go, Trez, why are you doing this to yourself? We told you to stop driving. Why are you doing it? Why do you want to mess up your career? The guy will talk to me like this. And you see me tomorrow, he, t- he tell me the same thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually being an idiot where I'm thinking, I'm smarter than these guys. This guy, they can't stop me. You know what I mean? And I was like that in the head. So then boom, that should put me in. So... That's why I always like, have this something about this club Barney because what they've done for me was it was amazing enough. I don't think there was many clubs that would have done that for anybody or maybe not for me. I can't, I can't, I can't see it happening. They actually knew I was going to go jail before I went to jail. 
because the my solicitor already told them that Trez was going to get locked down for maybe four, three, four months. And uh, the club still decided to keep my contract. So as I was in prison, the club was there waiting for me to come back in pre-season. But the way they fixed it, even the prison, I don't know who, de- who dealt with it, but the way they fixed it is where they made sure I went to prison just before I went on my holiday. Or just when the season is finishing, they took me to court. So they locked me down well, the whole two months when I was in prison. And when I came out, I missed the whole preseason. I missed the whole preseason. So I think I've done like three and a half months. So I missed the my whole holidays. And then I missed the preseason. So when I came back, when as soon as I came out, I came, I think I came out like on Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that. And the game was on Saturday. So I think I came out on Wednesday or Thursday. One of them days, it was like three, two days before the game. I came out in a second late, a second match of the season. So I didn't have no preseason basically. My preseason basically was two days when I came out of prison. I came training, I was running for one day, came run the other day, and Saturday there was a game, I was on the bench. <laughs> That's how it was. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was like it was crazy, and I came out, and the shirt that they saved me, they had to give me size extra bigger because I just got big. I just went went to the gym. And I started putting on size. It was like I came out, and my mindset completely changed. That's what. That's when I really realized, you know what? I need to sort myself out and now, or before I just regret one day because life you only live once and time flies, isn't it? So that's what happened. Really, I pushed myself up, and I thought to myself, it's time to stand up. And be real, and that's what I do for the kids now. Mm, obviously, I'm probably going to talk about it later anyway. So that's when I woke up. That's when I realized, you know what? It's a time to kick off. Yes. Episode 13 with a real Leeds United legend in Lee Chapman, who spoke to us about Leeds United's promotion and how he celebrated with Eric Cantona and some of the other teammates on his sofa after Manchester United failed to gain all three points at Liverpool, gifting Leeds United the Division One title. Leeds' final away match of that season and the second last game of the campaign was against Sheffield United and you and the side knew that if Leeds won the match, Manchester United also had to pick up three points to keep the title race alive and Manchester United played after Leeds, meaning that a win was a must to have the upper hand. How did Howard Wilkinson prepare you and the team for that game? Because it was obviously Leeds' best chance to win the Division 1 title in years. Did he keep that calm approach? Yeah, absolutely. It was very low key. Um, didn't didn't need to rev us up. We we, we knew it, that day for all of us was a bit of a blur um, because we knew that the pressure could feel it on the coach. On the coach um, driving down to Sheffield, we, we, you could feel the the pressure. People were trying to laugh and joke, but you could tell they they, they were very really nervous, really nervous. Uh, Howard was very low key, pretty much taught really low key. Did we didn't want to. Exaggerate the situation. Uh, didn't want really, to, you know, intensify the situation. Uh, but that what happened to that game was so bizarre. I mean, it was one of the most bizarre games I've played in. Um, own goals, you know, and just bizarre deflections. You know, you name it. It just how we ended up winning that game. I, I have no idea. But it, it, I, all I can, can imagine is that it was meant to be. You know, we we, we were meant to win that title. Um, we, we'd won the game. We, we didn't know quite know how. Um, and we were travelling home on the coach, knowing that uh, you know United were playing Liverpool, and uh, we were, if Liverpool beat them, then then the title was ours. And yeah, like you said, Leeds won the match three-two and put the pressure back on Manchester United. And following the match, there were the famous shots of yourself, David Batty, 
Darren McAllister and Eric Cantona all watching the Manchester United against Liverpool match in hopes that United would drop points. Whose idea was it to all watch the match together and just the four of you rather than the whole squad? And how optimistic were you that Liverpool would help Leeds out? Well, uh, I, I knew, uh, I used to do a lot of TV work at the time, a lot of punditry uh, with ITV. And Trevor East, who was the head of ITV Sport, called me on my mobile on the, on the way back uh, from the game from Sheffield to Leeds. And he said, listen, it's all on this game now, Man United Liverpool. Can we um, send a camera crew round to your house? And then if you just invite three or four of the, the players to sit with you and we'll sit with you watching the game. And, you know, you, you could you could win the title today. Today, you, you, could, you could come away as, as, as champions. Uh, so I said, yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I was into doing lots of TV at the time. So I, I had the only people who would turn up. I mean, I think I asked people like Strachey and uh, John Nukic. They all said no. And the only ones who said yes um, it was Gary, Mack, David and, and Eric. I don't think Eric knew what I was asking him to do. But anyway, he ended up being there. <laughs> and I mean, we just sat there uh, and it was very bizarre. It was one of the early days of live TV trans- transmission. And they had this enormous mast. I lived in a little village called Rowcliffe in North Yorkshire off the A1. And um, they had this enormous mast going about 50 foot in the air. You know, now it's just sat- dishes, satellite dishes now. And you can hardly see them. But... In those days, it was really big equipment and uh, the, the whole of the village sort of came to a standstill. Um, we were watching the game and um, obviously Liverpool did us a, a, a fantastic favour. We, we were champions. And then um, after the game, we were just stunned. Um, and we were being interviewed. I think it was, was it John Helm? I think John Helm was, was, was interviewing us. And uh, we looked like we'd, um, we, we, were, we were attending a funeral. I mean, no, none of us knew exactly what was happening. It hadn't really sunk in. And... Um, they went to a commercial break and Trevor East called me and he said, uh, he said it's a chappy. He said, uh, you, you look as though you're at a fucking funeral. He said, just cheer up. You just won, you just won the title. He said, get some champagne out. And I said, listen, chappy, I haven't got any champagne. He said, uh, he said so just give me the guy. So he, 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 I passed the phone to one of these guys and they ran across to the pub, uh, across the village green and uh, got some champagne. We opened the champagne in time for coming back from the commercial break, and we still looked as though we, we were attending a funeral. Uh, it, just, it just it was bizarre. It was very very bizarre. It hadn't sunk in, and it only really sunk in that night later on when we went back into Leeds. We went, we all agreed to meet, and I think we met at the Flying Pizza, uh, and that's when it really sunk in that we, we we'd won the title. The whole restaurant as we walked in came to their feet and were singing, and and then the whole town was buzzing. You know, people beeping the horns and. That's when it really sunk in that we, we'd achieved something. It was, it was an incredible day. And finally, episode 14. We were former head coach David Hockaday, and he spoke about how he became Leeds United head coach after numerous meetings with Massimo Cellino and the mysterious Italian voice. At the end of the 2013-14 season, Brian McDermott was the manager of Leeds United, and he was sacked at the end of May, just after the season had finished, virtually straight away. And despite not being in management for almost a year, you became the bookmaker's favourites to take over Leeds. When did he first hear of Leeds' interest and how did he find out about the possibility of becoming Leeds United's head coach? Well, so we'll, we'll go through this chronologically uh, and I've told this story a number of times to Leeds fans, but I'm literally in my garden. It's a nice sunny day. It's the close season. Um, I've had a couple of offers, I'm thinking, but nothing's really floating my boat. And then I get a call from a, an, from a guy in Italian voice saying, I have my sponsor uh, who owns a football club in England. He's heard good things about you. Would you like to go and have a chat with him? Now, 
there's lots of wind-ups in football, as you can probably guess. Um, and yet I knew that this wasn't a wind-up. It just had a ring of authenticity about it, however bizarre it was. So at the time, it was either Orient or Leeds. So I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I'll phone you tomorrow. Um, but, you know, you, you, you're saying you'd be interested. I said, yeah, I would. So I'm straight away looking at all of the players at Leeds, all the players at uh, Orient. I'm doing my homework. Um, not talking to anybody because obviously I, I don't know which club it is and I didn't, it could have been something else. Then they get a phone call the next day. I said, right, tomorrow can you get on a, a train, uh, get yourself to London, go down here, right here, up here, left here, and you'll come to a hotel called such and such, be there at such and such a time. So um, again, I didn't know which team it was. Um, so I, I got on the train, put the, followed the directions, came here, and then the voice appeared um he said hi david i'm such and such um let's just sit down and we'll wait for my sponsor to appear so i sat down had a had a glass of water um and then eventually in walks uh Cellino. so straight away i'm getting rid of all my orient notes in my head and i'm, I'm fast tracking on the Leeds united notes and he came in he was very personable uh, very likable got on really well with him we sat down he was smoking and and drinking we had the salt and pepper pots we had the the ashtray out in the open and there was four people there um chatting away and we were there for about four hours could have been longer but after two hours uh Cellino, who was sitting next to me said and he was just asking questions and talking about football very relaxed and then he just leaned back and said david i like you and I said, well, thank you. I said, listen, I'm enjoying talking about football. And I'm thinking, as soon as you came in, I'm thinking, well, realistically, it might be an under-23s coach and maybe getting involved with the first team because I've got a reputation for being good at set players as well. So maybe being a set-piece uh, expert and, and helping out with my knowledge of the, of the championship. Um, maybe, if I was lucky... Um, it might be that he wanted me to be like an assistant to a foreign manager coming over. I knew of his track record with managers anyway, or head coaches, as he would call them. Um, so th th that's where I was sort of putting myself. And he said, uh, I like you. I went, yeah, thanks. I'm enjoying this. He went, would you like to be my head coach? So <laughs> like, I always remember the, the voice on my right nearly fell over. He leaned back on his chair, nearly fell over, because I think he was shocked. And, and I sort of sat back and I said, do you know what you're, what you're asking me? So the voice then said, is it too much for you? Is it too much for you? Can you not do it? I said, no, no, I can do it. But, and I'm looking at Cellino, um, the president, as I, as I called him, uh, and I said, do you know what you're doing? He said, go on, explain yourself. I said, well, in football, I'm actually quite well known and I, I like to think I've got a good reputation as a good coach. I said, but the fans won't have heard of me. The media might have heard little bits of me, but won't really know me. You know, you're setting yourself up for a lot of questions and potentially a lot of pressure. He said, can you handle that? I said, yeah, I can handle it because I'm a coach and, I, and I'll be out on the grass and I'll be coaching the players and that's what I do. So it'll be more off the field shenanigans that you know you, you might want to be concerned about. He said, no, nope, I can handle that, not a problem. So we shook hands and he said, I'll, I'll be back in touch. Didn't promise me it, but he said he was thinking about it. So um, I've, uh, I've gone away. The next day, um, from nowhere, I've come in in the betting. I am not a gambler. I did not put any bets on. So somebody, I I have to guess, in that meeting um, thought, David Hockney has got a good chance. I'm going to put some money on. So straight away, the voice calls me in a couple of days and said, you've come in from nowhere on the betting. The 
president's not happy, it's all off. I went, well, listen, fine. I hadn't, I hadn't got anything, so I didn't, didn't have anything to lose. I said, fine. I haven't done anything wrong, but if that's how he feels, not a problem. And then I heard that he'd had a chat with um, Eamon Dolan, God rest his soul, a guy at Reading who had a good reputation as a good coach. And then nothing was happening, so um, I was away with my wife down in Cornwall, the voice on the phone again, uh, President wants to meet you again, Manchester, cloak and dagger stuff. So um, I, I drove this time to Manchester, parked up, went to a hotel where I'd been told to go, um, still nice sunny day. Somebody from reception says, can you pick up the phone over there in a cubicle? So I went over to the cubicle, picked it up, said, go out the um, corridor, turn left, turn right, go out, go along 400 yards. There's another hotel there, knockout. So I've done all of this. Um, and then Chilino's there waving me as if I'm his best mate. Um, and I did get on well with him, to be fair. Went over there, chatted for a couple of hours. He said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm not doing anything. Why? He said, get yourself to Ellen Road. I'm announcing you. So I went, <laughs> okay. So um, I, I went back to Manchester, got me stuff, went to Leeds United. I'm thinking, is this, is this going to happen? Uh, and I went there, and before you guys even say it, I became the first watermelon. The analogy being that uh, you don't really know what you're going to get until you, you crack it open. So he, he was taking a gamble, if that's the right word, on a coach uh, to become the head coach of, of Leeds United. And, and that, in a nutshell, or in a watermelon, is how it, uh, it all came about. And just to end the show, here's some of our favourite questions over the last 14 episodes. First up is Trezor Candle speaking about night out in Leeds after Leeds won promotion from League One. Wow. Was he there? I was there. But you I, was there. I was, was there. he there? Was Steve there? Uh, um, was Steve there? Uh, <laughs> I can tell you, we don't know Steve. <laughs> These are just random people that have okay. messaged us. These are just random people. Okay, okay. Uh, damn, I know, I know when we had... Um... We had a club's meeting with the fans and everyone. Obviously, we had a dinner, right? Yeah. We had a dinner with the... the everyone was there. And uh, I think we went out. We went out and, obviously, when, when I go out, everybody knows what I'm going to do when I go out. I can't tell you guys that on, on radio right now. Or... <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody knew what me, Bex, Sebi, Carol, everybody knew what we were going to be doing, man. You know what I mean? So... Um, what what happened? Can you tell me what happened? I know we went out, but what happened? What, what, what that was really the question. Happened? That was the question. <laughs> the question <laughs> what the question was? Can you remember what you and the rest of the squad did that night, and what was your best memory from it all? Yeah, but the way you're asking is that like we've done something. Oh no, no, no. something different. <laughs> I, know no. I know we went out. We went out. We had a time when we was uh, we was at the club's dinner. Where the play when we was giving the trophies about the players, players and all that. Uh, obviously, Beck's one of them. He won everything, I think. He won yeah. all the trophies, and he took all the trophies as usual. The greedy boy. And then, um, I think we just went out. I think we just went out, had a good time, went downtown, and we went out. Oh, that's all. That's all I can remember. You know, I can't remember anything else. Maybe I was just too drunk. A bit blurry from that. <laughs> <laughs> Means it was a good night, though. It was a great night, man. It was a great, great night. What I remember me doing a moonwalk. I saw it on YouTube the other day. After we was in a, I was dancing around and I said, "Yeah, we're going up." 
we've gone up and I started doing the moonwalk or dancing, doing the Michael Jackson dance and all that. I, I can remember all that stuff. <laughs> the video is still on YouTube, so it was good, man. It was a great night. It was a great night. Next up is former goalkeeper Casper Ankuren, and here's what he had to say about a save against Hartlepool United at Ellen Road, which he classes as his favourite save of all time. No, I remember it quite clearly, and I've I've tried to find it. I, I think I managed to find it. Uh, it's out okay. there somewhere. Yeah. Um, we've, we've got a clip if you want us, if you want us to send it to you. <laughs> yeah, please do that. Yeah, that would be great. That would be brilliant. <laughs> um, no, I remember it quite clearly. Like uh, I actually I remember the day before. See, this is what fans don't know. Sometimes you know when when you look at at your team and at your players, uh, you expect them just to go and perform game after game but sometimes things they might have players might have nickels they might have little injuries that the fans don't know about that they're playing with they could have problems at home um i had the i remember this quite clearly i had to move from because at the time i didn't have a house or a flat or anything so i had to move the, the day before the game i had to move from one flat from like a hotel apartment to a different one and uh, I remember just moving the day before I got to bed really late and and for the game over I thought oh no I don't feel like I'm on it here this do you know when you just that didn't feel right but uh, and then it's that's that's the weird thing about football I, I end up making one of the best saves I've ever made in my whole career uh, I do remember it quite clearly like the, the free kick uh, and a header and somehow, I don't know, I think I might have touched the ball. It's high to my left. Somehow touched the ball onto the crossbar and then trapping the ball on the line for some reason. Um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, that's probably, that is for me the best save I've made in, in my career, I think. Next on the list is Olivier Decor. And here's what he had to say about his former midfield partner, David Batty. Yeah, Bats was, you know, we didn't talk too much, I have to admit. But I love the character of, I love because when you, when you give him the ball, he never lose the ball. He was simple, but he not lose the ball. And he, he, can, he, could, he can kill you without any anesthesia, you know. He was... He was very hard, and uh, I start to know him at the end of the, because uh, in December I think just before I leave, when I was in jail, he was in jail too, and we start to talk a little, little bit more, because Bats was more older than us, but he's yeah a quality player. Oh, yeah, but tell me some what what is what he doing, Bats? Now. After football, what did he do? Uh, he, he isn't doing much, actually. Really do much public stuff. He was seen on a uh, a video, you know, clapping for the uh, NHS. He was seen on one of them. But other than that, nobody's really heard from him. Yeah, that's a shame because he could uh, he could he couldn't bring this experience to the young young lads. Yeah, yeah that's because because it's from Leeds. He's uh, it's from Yorkshire and. He could help the club to to become more bigger. Do you think he would have made a good coach? Like, yeah, not about the good coach, but sometimes like Eddie Gray used to do. Mm. But you need to have some experience. No, 
the, you know, even for the young kids from the academy to, to know, you know, like uh, the, the, the player made the story of the club. And to finish off the episode, here's what Matthew Kilgarn had to say when asked about his favourite prank during his time at Leeds. I can remember when I was, we just moved up to the new training um, ground, you know, at the top. Because Dave Hancock, the physio, was obsessed with his swimming pool. Wouldn't let the lads go in there, didn't have flip-flops on and all that. So I think a couple of lads, Gary Kelly, Michael Dubery, they all went and bought loads of ducks. I think Robbie Fowler was there and set them off in the uh, in the swimming pool. So, like, so then Dave Hancock, went, the physio, went to put a training session on. So all the lads have come down to go in the pool and he went to open the door and there's ducks just swimming along on the water. That was a good one. Um, I can remember when uh, Sutty, the physio, first team physio, he used to, masseured, masseured for 60 years and he used to have little fat fingers. So he used to call him sausage fingers. And um, one day, I think it was David Batty and maybe Woodgate went to the butchers in Boston Spa and bought about 200 pounds worth of sausages and put them all over his car. So like they'd lift the windscreen wiper up like that, and then just pierce sausages all the way down his car, put him in his exhaust, just basically came out and there's like 200 pounds worth of sausages all over his car. I mean, that was funny, but it was more the reaction as the um, sooty that was hilarious. But there's so many, so many, but just good times, man. We'll be back in two weeks with our next guest. Stay tuned for the post over on our LEFC fans on Instagram story next week. Thanks for listening.